Hello, everyone. I am with a special guest. Her name is Alicia. She is a former sister. She is, uh, she was a sister of the Congregation of the Divine Spirit. Uh, she was also, or she also is a uh, Catholic convert. And now she is a podcaster as well. Uh, the name of her podcast is Fort Convent Reform. And today we are going to have a lovely discussion with her. And I would like to introduce you all to my good friend, Alicia. Alicia, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. Um, it's my first time doing a podcast with another podcaster. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so it's a little different. Uh, I mean, this is my third like interview slash discussion um, and never get like the nerves and the jitters like never go away. But how do you deal? Do you ever get like the jitters before you start? Oh yeah, I I definitely do. And then I just like okay, I just I gotta do it. Not think too, not overthink it, and just do it. So, but yeah, I I have anxiety in general, so it's always like oh, I'm gonna say something silly or mispronounce something, or but yeah, some. You just do it and do your best and go from there. <laughs> yeah, it's always um, it, your mind can sometimes like be like an obstacle, but then, like you said, you just go and do it. And I've been listening to your show for I don't know, maybe like half a year now, or or somewhere like close to that. And it's interesting because you know, in my podcast, it's called "The Truth That Heals," and we. Well, I talk about, you know, mental health, spiritual health, uh, spiritual abuse. And lately I've been talking about some, some of my experiences of being in a religious community that unfortunately had a divide and was kind of cultish. And that's just my community. And then I hear your stories of a community that is not related to mine. And of course, I'm not trying to put down the, uh, the congregation that you're in, but unfortunately, it sounds like there is a lot of um, manipulation of power and some forms of abuse. Um, did you ever think that what you experienced was only happening in your community? Because that's how I felt at first with my community, that all these bad things were happening only in mine. Did you ever feel the same way? Yes, definitely. So um, when I initially left, um, I was definitely, I definitely had a different mindset and um, I left thinking, you know, well, you know, it was my fault. It didn't, it didn't work out, you know, um, and a lot of that was because of the manipulation that I experienced at the hands of, you know, other sisters and superiors. So um, I was very sympathetic to them at first, and I, I actually kept a conversation with them um, for a few months after I left. And, you know, I I guess it was definitely a process because, I mean, it, it is a shock just to leave the convent or monastery or religious life in general when you're in it for so long. And so, you know, it, it, it's just very difficult. It's a, it's a very hard transition, which I'm sure you can relate to. And, you know, you're just kind of thrown into a whole different world, you know, and so I, I think that kind of 
you know, mess with my mind a little bit too, but, you know, the more I started talking to people and, you know, relating to others, what I had gone through, the more I realized that something wasn't right with what had happened to me. And, um, I, I started, you know, getting the inclination that, you know, maybe, you know, maybe this wasn't all my fault. And the more, you know, I talked to others, the, the more I, I kind of started opening up, the more I realized that, you know what, I, I was put in a very terrible position and, you know, that they didn't treat me right. And I, that, that was, that was definitely revelation because that was really hard to come to. Um, but, um, I started seeing on, uh, especially Facebook. Um, I know there's a lot of women, um, that have discerned or, or, uh, were in religious life. And I was in one of those groups that had women that, you know, had previously been in religious life. And I started seeing their posts and what they had gone through. And it started dawning on me that, you know, they were saying very similar things to what I had encountered. And that's when I started to realize, you know, and like you said, you know, when you, um, you know, started this talk, you know, it's, you can be in completely different communities, completely different states. You've never met these people before. And you start talking and you start seeing similarities, you know, the same kind of treatment, the same kind of uh, abuse and um, the same kind of patterns and behavior. And so it, it was a process for sure. But um, I, I started, especially within the first year of my uh, departure from the convent, I started to realize that I wasn't alone, that there were other people out there that had experienced similar situations. Well, wow, that's um, interesting because it took me a while to, to understand that what had happened wasn't only in my community. And well, oh, really? well, not, I mean, there are like some unique things about, about my community. I'm not calling every community a cult. Mm-hmm. I, I say that about mine because it was, it really became a cult and it just became so dark. But there are other patterns, like you were saying, of like, um, it was really like a lot of lording over the members at times. And it's like, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. And it's like, oh, yeah. Whatever, like you follow in obedience. And then, you know, and I, I think you mentioned this before, um, where it's going to take a longer time to, to perform the, the task given, but then you have your prayer life to also complete. And it's like, I think you were saying in one of the episodes, it's like, well, it's like, I got to finish my prayers, but then it's like, like, if you don't finish your prayers, at least in, in my community, it's like, you get, you're, you're branded as being disobedient. And it's like, well, I got all these things to do. And it, it, I don't know, it just, for me, like, I feel like sometimes they would give obediences and like they knew you couldn't do it all because you also have to do your prayer life and meetings. And then it's like, I felt that sometimes they set you up for failure. And that's what I felt really just in my community. And I was, I was totally not aware of what other religious went through and then i heard your podcast i was like oh damn you know it's like it's <laughs> um, going through through similar things and i think that's what drew me to your podcast is knowing that it's like 
I'm I'm looking at another perspective of religious life, but it's it's like spot on, honest, and that's what that's what kind of drew me to your podcast. Um, and very briefly, um, you mentioned, you said I realized, um, I realized this wasn't all my fault. Um, when did you realize that? Like, what what made you realize that not everything was your fault uh, when you're in the religious life? And what what was it that made you feel perhaps like a sense of guilt? Well, you know, in my the community I was in, they were really good at playing mind games, and you know, um, you know. I know we have talked about this in private conversations. There are definitely cult-like behaviors that happen in a lot of these communities. And, you know, um, they they have a way of, of just kind of manipulating your mindset and controlling how you think. And, you know, um, to really put it in a nutshell, um, I had thought about a year or two, probably two years more, um, into being in religious life that I wasn't, I wasn't happy in the community and I felt miserable. And I just, I always thought there would be a silver lining and that things would get better. And I remember, you know, going to my superiors and one of the things they would say is, well, um, the superior is box day and that's Latin for the voice of God. So basically they're claiming that anything that the superior would say is the voice of God, you know, um, which we don't even believe that about the Pope. So it's, it's really ridiculous. But um, so I was, I was told that. And then when I went to my novice mistress and, you know, uh, you know, told her that I I was really thinking of leaving, um, she said, well, um, you were told you have a vocation by your superior. And, um, if I were you and I left, I'd be very concerned about my salvation if I left. So those are the kinds of things, the kind of manipulation that they, they play with you, you know, and it, it it's really, I, I, I love to sit down with like a psychiatrist or something. Cause you know, I, I know that while I was there, you know, it affected me psychologically. I, I know I, I wasn't thinking and doing things I normally do. I was just in such constant stress all the time. So, um, so yeah, it was de- definitely after leaving, I knew, I felt like it was all my fault. I felt like I was a failure. I wasn't allowed to even say goodbye to the other s- sisters except for the superior. So that, that really crushed me at that time. And it just added to, you know, this feeling of shame and, and grief. And I think the thing that really, um, you know, really was powerful and kind of shining the light on the situation for me was there was an incident where um, I I started going to therapy because I was severely depressed and um, there was an incident at a school that I had worked at. So um, I worked at the school, I was a first grade teacher 
and the priest there, long story short, he didn't like me, you know, he was, um, he had a different philosophy about things than I did. And, um, they had children at that school that had some major, uh, behavioral issues, but he wanted to have this missionary school and he, I think part of it is he wanted to look good in the community and he partnered with the local uh, college, you know, to make this work and everything. And it was, it was a big deal, but they were having these children come in on government vouchers and some of them had very severe um, issues, you know, um, psychological, behavioral, emotional issues. And you know, uh, there's always like one or two that had very, very severe, you know, and then the rest were pretty, pretty moderate to severe, but there's always one that was like an outlier that was, had a lot of issues. And the last year I was there, there was a child that, um, he had all the red flags for, uh, pretty severe autism. He was very angry and he would just scream for hours. He would, you know, go in the back of the room and just like bang the lockers and throw chairs. He could be violent. And um, a month or two into the school year, I wrote this prince, the principal actually, and he forwarded on to this priest, but um, they, they said, well, you know, that when it came back and they started talking to me, they said, oh, well, you have issues with these kids and, you know, we can't let these kids go in, back into the system and everything. So basically I didn't hear any more from this priest. And right before Christmas break, he told me that um, I was, I had to leave and not come back for the rest of the year. And um, so I, I, I had to leave and it really broke my heart. I wasn't even able to say goodbye to the kids. And um, I felt like I'd, I had made so much progress in that classroom with, with what I had. And all that was, you know, just, you know, swiped away in a day. And so, you know, I, that was extremely difficult. And as a teacher, it looked bad on me because he had let me go and he had just never, he didn't give very clear answer to why they let me go. Um, and um, professionally, it, it looked really bad because of the situation. And, um, you know, there's a little bit of a cover up on, on what actually happened. So I went to the sisters. It really, it really pained me. And when I started finding, trying to find a job after I left, um, the, the situation kept coming up because it was on my resume that I, you know, left in the middle of the year. And so, um, I wrote a letter to the superior and I, you know, I even showed it to my therapist and I said, I feel like I have to get this off my chest that, you know, they didn't defend me. They were not there for me when all this was happening at that school. And so I got a letter back from them saying, um, uh, there are two, there were two, uh, pages in this letter, um, and one was a letter that they had, you know, they had written or typed out anyway. And another one was a itemized receipt of everything that they claimed I owed them for my time there. And they had paid with like 
paid some of this uh, college debt and stuff. So um, on the bottom of the letter itself, it said, um, um, you have lost the best friend that you've ever had. Um, and then on the bottom of the itemized receipt, it said, you should be on your knees thanking, uh, thanking us, thanking God for us instead of criticizing us. And, and I, sh you know, I showed it to my parents, you know, and oh. to my other people and, and, you know, that are very close to me. And that's when I really start, I mean, my dad's agnostic and I was trying to hide some of the stuff from him. And he was like, you know, these are people that, you know, they're, ve they're being very aggressive, you know, about what you said. And, and they even read my letter and they're like, there's no reason they should be so aggressive. And that was really when I started to realize like the, these people are crazy, not me. Like there's something wrong with them that they can't even take any sort of criticism. So that's kind of a long way to get around that uh, question, but that's wow. basically what happened. Okay. Um, wow, that, that's a lot. Okay, can you hear me? Yes. All right, I think I try, I'm trying to stop the video kind of, because I just got a message saying that I have only like a few minutes left for a free Zoom and that's gonna stop recording. So I'm trying to, I think I paused the video. Did I pause the recording? Okay, so, uh, we're back. Sorry, everyone. Everyone, I had some uh, technical difficulties. I didn't know that you have to pay for an account for uh, Zoom. And in the middle of our previous recording, it just uh, it just got a little crazy. But uh, we're back. We're live on air. Uh, coming to you from San Antonio. And Alicia, where are you coming from? Uh, Ohio. Uh, Ohio. Central Ohio. Uh, nice. How's the weather over there? Right now, it's actually pretty hot. So when hot you say hot, hot like... and humid. Well, it's cooled down a little bit because there was a rainstorm, but it's just very humid. So it's just kind of measurable outside. <laughs> so it sounds like the weather sucks. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> okay. But hopefully with uh, this podcast, we can... Uh, brighten someone's day so um uh so sorry everyone uh i just uh like i was saying i got a little bit uh caught up there um but i was talking about uh or we were talking about um difficulties in the religious life and how sometimes they unfortunately uh, manipulate things to make you feel like a failure like a loser and how uh, unfortunately, sometimes when a person leaves the religious life, it can be uh, quite traumatic to the point of needing um, counseling, therapy, and ways to process uh, what had happened. And I was, um, I was, I don't want to say, or I have been inspired hearing your podcast uh, because you're using your voice to do something different. Uh, when we see so many religious, ex-religious um, hating on the church, and uh, I think sometimes they have a good reason. And I think you also have a good reason to really hating the church. However, you didn't go that way. You didn't take that, that route. 
instead of using your voice uh, to do your podcast to kind of bring awareness. Uh, so I, w- I would like to ask, you know, what inspired you to, to one, not hate the church, and two, what inspired you to talk about uh, having some kind of uh, uh, convent reform? So like one, like, like what kept you from hating? And two, like what, you know, moved you to actually do this podcast? Because I, I sense you do out of immense love. Yeah, so um, like you mentioned before, I'm a convert and I uh, became interested in the church when I was 15. Um, I had gotten really sick and um, I think that was part of the reason that I became really interested in truth and what life was all about. And I kind of made a, um, just an agreement with God. And I didn't even know if it was God at the time. I'm like, I just want to know the truth. I just want to know what life's about, you know? And slowly he started to show me the, you know, the Catholic faith. And, um, I just started to fall in love with it. And, um, so I, I think just having that very firm, foundation of what the church is um and you know really I I had to really fight for my faith as a kid you know I I so wanted to join the church and be a part of it and you know um I I did end up entering at the age of 18 but there there was about three years where um I really you know I had a lot of struggle with my parents. They, they didn't understand. They were kind of uh, a little anti-Catholic, uh, you know, themselves. And so, you know, I, 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 I just have an immense love for the faith. Um, and, you know, I, I found, I, I just found so much beauty in the Catholic faith um, and, and, uh, it's art um, and the music. I mean, I, I went to a public school uh, and I was in the choir in the high school program and uh, we, were, we were singing, you know, these sacred songs. And I thought, oh my goodness, this is like just, it's just um, elevates your soul, you know, when you, when you listen to this music and knowing that it came from the Catholic church just really um, just was really inspiring for me. So you know, I, I saw the beauty in the faith and, you know, it was very tempting. I'm, I'm not saying it wasn't, but, you know, I, I had followed the whole uh, summer of shame with McCarrick in 2018. I, I was very aware, aware of what was going on. I left the convent in February of 2019 and um, it was hard. It was really hard. And um, I, I, be, I got closer than I've ever been, um, to leaving the faith. And I had a, uh, a really good priest friend, um, who, you know, was willing to really hear me out of what had happened and just be a huge support. He helped me to write the report to the diocese about the religious order when I was ready to do that. Um, but he helped me to see, um, you know, and a lot of it was just his own, you know, his own witness and just his own, you know, priestly fatherly love. I was, I, you know, I, 
was able to see that, you know, I'm in the church because of Jesus Christ, not because of a priest or a nun or any community that's, you know, people are going to fail you. Institutions are made of people and people, you know, uh, make mistakes and, and don't always do what they're, what they're supposed to do or what they're called to do. So um, I had to see the difference. I had to see the, the distinction between the people that hurt me, the people that were supposed to be Christ in my life and failed to do so. And, you know, Jesus Christ and, you know, the church that, um, you know, he loved and, you know, to the point of, you know, dying for it. So that's, that was really the rock on what kept me in the faith, despite um, everything that I was seeing. And that was also a big part of, you know, just starting Call for Convert Reform, starting the blog, um, which, you know, the, the podcast is an extension of, um, I was really seeing that, you know, the people that were talking about religious order abuse, um, were either, you know, people that, um, you, you typically, they were people that had left the church and were very critical of the church and there wasn't really an in-between. And so I, I saw a need for people who were still in the faith, who still were, you know, um, wanting to remain Catholic despite, you know, the scandal that they had seen in their religious orders, but, um, uh, you know, wanted, wanted to, you know, stand up for what, for what is right and what's wrong. Um, so, but for the podcast, um, I, I had been doing the blog for a while and I started talking to some friends who were also former religious and, um, I was just kind of looking for other ways to get information out. And, um, I, I'm not a big fan of social media, but, um, they were, you know, trying to convince me to be more aware of things on social media, um, and, uh, maybe having more of a presence on there. And I, I guess that's kind of where I started thinking of the podcast and, you know, um, and just having another aspect to this where I can actually talk to people and, um, and sometimes it, you know, it's just hard to write, you know, something it's, it's easier just to say it. So that's kind of where the, the idea of the podcast came in is, you know, just, um, another way to reach people, to get the story out, to inform people. And, and, uh, it's interesting how, you know, people find the blog through the podcast or people find the podcast through the blog, but they, they are, they are definitely related. I don't always have the same stories on, but there are stories I've had on the, the blog that I will eventually, you know, bring to the podcast and vice versa. So, um, that's, that's the origin of the podcast. Okay. And, um, let's say some of my listeners, you know, or, you know, some of my Twitter followers, uh, see this and they say, Oh, I, I w- I'm interested in, in hearing this podcast or reading their blog. Um, can you give us like a little snippet of like what it is that they'll be actually listening to? Sure. So, um, it's, it's definitely a hodgepodge, but, um, it all has to do with religious order abuse. Um, so, 
um, I've talked about, um, I guess, a wide array of different factors that come into play with um, religious order abuse. And, um, you know, I've, I've told stories of, you know, um, people that have come out and told their own stories. Um, I, I did a case study. I'd like to do more of those um, of Augustine and Ferreira. It was in the um, Carmelite monks of Wyoming. Um, and I went through his dossier, which is very long, but um, that's actually two podcasts. But, you know, I wanted to kind of go through it, you know, so, you know, a lot of people aren't going to sit down and read it. But um, at least, you know, giving my own thoughts to what I was reading and, and, and being able to say, hey, I, I experienced the same type of thing that he experienced in some of these situations. Um, the, sometimes it's reports that come out, um, my own personal uh, story of things that have happened to me. So I, I guess it just kind of depends um, uh, what kind of, you know, topic I, I find would be relatable to an audience and, and kind of bring light to a subject and, and kind of go from there. Um, I don't always have a lot of free time for the podcast and things. So I, I really try to, you know, think in advance of what would be most beneficial to, um, to bring to a podcast um, than, you know, having a whole bunch of them. Sometimes I can only do like one, some, one a month or so. So yeah. Um, that's that's kind of my thinking process. Okay, so it's called for convent reform. And call for convent reform. Oh, call for convent reform. Okay, yeah, people are going to be, you know, <laughs> googling for convent reform and they'll probably find something else. All right, call for convent reform. Um, let's say, uh, let's say some of those jerk, prick superiors, and I'll even say asshole superiors are listening and sometimes i kind of hope they are because you know hey they need they love to uh put people down and you know i think we're trying to actually lift them up by being truthful um let's say these guys or, or ladies whatever are listening to call for convent reform and let's say they're thinking we don't need anything to be reformed uh alicia she's just she was just weak. She couldn't take the, she couldn't take the strictness of, you know, being a true religious because that's how some of them think. I know because I had that mentality of when you're in here, it's for life. You have to mm -hmm. obey to the letter. You have to be strict. And if a member can't take it, oh, then that's because they suck or, oh, because they don't have enough trust in God, etc. So if one of those people were listening, those, you know, those twisted uh superiors and they have a mentality thinking we have nothing to to change what would you like to put in their face you know i mean like what is it that you would like to uh, for them to know like one thing like like what is one thing that needs to be changed because i think that it, it is called call to for convent reform so what, what, what is that thing that they need to know? Well, if it's going to come down to one thing, um, and this isn't just my thought, it's, it's the thought of a lot of people that <clears throat> have um, 
endured religious order abuse is accountability because a lot of these orders get away with a lot because they are kind of in their own little sphere and you know technically you know you're either a diocesan order or a pontifical order and you know if you're a diocesan order you're under your bishop if you're a pontifical order you're under the pope but you know the, the bishop and the pope don't usually not that involved you know there are reports and things that need to be sent but um <laughs> but otherwise you know they're they're not you know um coming to their door and 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 looking at their lifestyle or what's going on or talking to members so they have a lot of leeway and because of that you know if if you have a superior or someone in charge or you know any type of leader in a religious order that um is you know uh doing things that are wrong or questionable um there's a lot of ways that they can they can hide it you know mm -hmm. um and i i think you know you've mentioned that very well with with your podcast and your story of what happened so i think that is a big part of it um is, is just accountability and you know um these superiors um they they really shouldn't be allowed to hide in the shadows as much as they they are in the church i don't i don't know exactly what the answer to that is i, I you know there should there probably should be more things on um you know within the church itself to make that happen but i don't see that happening anytime soon but that's that's basically where it comes down to is there needs to be more accountability because a lot of these corrupt uh superiors can get away with way too much and you're you're exactly right uh, with uh, wanting accountability, because like, look, I'm, I don't want to beat around the bush, and I think your podcast, you know, has already come to that. Like, hey, like, let's get to the bottom of it. What's going on? Abuse is happening, and unfortunately, if someone brings it up, it all gets hidden, and or sometimes the narrative is that you're just someone who's hating the church. When, but when I, I listen to you, I listen to your podcast, I listen to the content and I listen, you know, day after day, episode after episode, I know that that narrative isn't true uh, because sometimes the narrative that, you know, even, even uh, those who aren't religious, you know, just the normal guy who goes to mass and who's like, who really loves the church. Sometimes they don't want to see that there is abuse and then unfortunately the victims get shamed or it's like they there's this narrative that oh you know how could they be speaking about this community i mean there's just so much bitterness but i'm so happy that you're calling for accountability because there, there really needs to be at times i think closure for so many you know religious victims and maybe they'll say oh, well, it wasn't sexual abuse. So uh, you should just offer it up to God and move on with your life. And I, I kind of get that mentality, but at the same time, you know, words do hurt. And unfortunately, listening to, to some of the things that happened to you, um, did you ever feel that you did receive closure from the community that you were in? from like the, uh, 
abusive or manipulative uh, experiences that you had? Did you ever receive like an apology or, hey, we're sorry, uh, we're here for you or anything like that? No, not at all. Um, I mean, like I said before, with the letter that was sent, um, that was really my last communication with the order um, directly. Um, what happened after that is um, I I did write a report to the to the diocese um, that they belong to, and um, to their credit, the diocese responded rather quickly within like two weeks. And um, you know, I the one thing that had to be cleared up was you know they they were saying that I owed them all this money, um, and that that was cleared up, and you know I. I was told by the um, vicar for religious, who was a nun in this diocese, that you know they had said something about they were praying for me and whatever. But um, I, I never heard anything back, and and it, they made it very clear what their thoughts of me were after you know sending that letter. So, um, but you know, um, it, it 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 is a problem because. You know, I, I, I go back a lot to, um, there was a German nun, I, I, I can't remember her name um, at the moment, but, you know, there, there are people that say, well, you know, you weren't sexually abused or you weren't physically abused. And I wasn't, you know, um, it, was, it was very much emotional and psychological abuse and spiritual abuse. Um, but this German nun, um, she's been very outspoken um, because she was sexually abused. And one of the things that I've, I've seen her say in interviews is that, um, you know, the first abuse that opened up the door to other abuse was spiritual abuse. You know, when, when God is, you know, manipulated in such a way in your, in your own spiritual life that, you know, um, you know, as for me, like I said, with the whole Vox Day thing and, you know, being told that I would pretty much lose my salvation if I left, those, those things can open up a lot of other abuse. And so, um, you know, it's not, it's not good. It's not Christian to treat people this way for sure. But um, yeah, it's just, um, you know, it's, it's wrong and it's not Christian. And, you know, that's really, that's really where um, the truth lies is that, you know, these, these religious orders are supposed to be places where Christ's love and truth um, are paramount. And that's not what we're seeing, you know, and that's not what people who are entering religious life are seeing. And it's causing a lot of issues. Um, there are a lot of people that are leaving, uh, you know, the faith altogether because of of the religious life you know that they experienced and, and how they how are they were mistreated by people that were supposed to be representatives of christ so um it's just it's it's a really sad issue but um it you know i think at the end um in regards to my religious community i think they just they thought they were in the right you know you can never tell them that anything that they did was wrong um, and I, I think that's where they still stand today. Hmm. And um, were you talking about uh, Doris Reisinger? 
Yes. Yeah. I. I. Yeah. That's it. Yes. I've. Yeah. Um. I followed her, and. Uh, it's telling me. Um. Or uh, sorry. Um. Sorry, I just got a little distracted. Um. I've. I've seen her stuff. I've heard her stuff, and it's just so unfortunate. Unfortunate. Uh, what she had been through, but it's inspiring that, you know, there are voices out there who really are speaking up for a desire to really heal the church. I mean, I don't think your intention or my intention or Doris's intention is to tear down. It's really to um, build up. And I wanted to uh, wrap up there, wrap up here, and I wanted to ask you, um, what is uh, maybe some words of advice that you would like to give uh, to a sister or brother or, or priest, whatever, who has just left the religious life and who is probably going through a hard time? What words of advice can you give for them? Um, I, I would say that, you know, um, I think it, it can be easy to kind of ball up in ourselves during those situations. And um, like I said, in my own experience, there's so much shame and there's so much guilt. And sometimes we, you know, a way of dealing with that is to feel like, you know, it's my fault, it's my problem. So I'm, I'm not going to get help or I, I know in, in my circumstance, I had a really hard time, I, you know, trying to find a therapist because I thought I had to have a, a Catholic therapist because I didn't feel like they would understand, you know, and I thought, you know, they would just attack, you know, um, my being in religious life. And at the time, I, I really wasn't, you know, that that would not have been healthy for me. And, um, you know, I eventually, I couldn't find a Catholic therapist and I, I said, okay, God, I'm, I'm going to, uh, put this in your hands. And I found a really good therapist. She was Christian, not Catholic, but, um, she was really pretty objective, you know, and, um, was able to help me to kind of see the light in, in different ways. So sometimes I, I, you know, it can, it can be hard, I guess. And it kind of depends on the person too, but, um, I, I think it's very important to get help, especially if, if you find yourself in a, a severe depression, which I did definitely. Um, but also reach out. Um, I, you know, I, I, I have been praying and thinking about it, about, you know, it would be wonderful to start a ministry for, for people who, um, are, have left religious life and are trying to get themselves, you know, on their feet. And, you know, um, if, if you, if you ever want to talk to someone who has been in your shoes, I think it's very important to, you know, um, you can always talk to, you know, contact me on my blog or my, uh, on my podcast, um, or I'm sure Tony will be free to listen to you too. But because I think, you know, I think, another aspect of it is you feel so alone and you don't feel like people understand what you're going through. So, um, it's kind of hard to put in a nutshell, what, what is kind of a independent experience for a lot of people, but that would, that would be my advice. I know for me, I it really helped to just at the very beginning, I, I had to just kind of keep 
the routine of the order because I was, it was so ingrained in me. And I, and for me, that, that is what I needed at that time, because I think if I just cut it off cold turkey, then um, it, it would have been uh, pretty bad, but, you know, also realizing that you're not in that life anymore. And so your, your life is going to change and you're going to have to adapt. So, um, yeah, um, I, I guess that's, I guess that's all I can really say in general, because, um, for a lot of people, it's, it's going to look different for different people who leave. Yeah, well, Alicia, thank you so much for your words of wisdom sharing your experiences and i wish the best for you and we got to do this again maybe, yeah definitely uh, maybe on your show where you have more <laughs> you can have some more zoom minutes than i do but Great. um thank you and um i i really hope that your message our message really reaches to home for some of the victims and for those who are abusing their power you know, I don't want to like put them down, but at the same time, like you're saying, there, there does need to be accountability. And hopefully those people who are in charge, who are superiors, open their eyes sooner than later because there's so much power that they can use for good. Yes. And that's what we're praying for. So thank you so much. And I'm so happy that you were able to join us today. Well, thank you, Tony. It was great to be here. Bye-bye.